power to a fifth grader. <laughs> it's pretty interesting. Like if they're working in groups or something, cooperative groups, and it's like, okay, and you be like the leader or something. Oh my goodness, right? Power. Luckily, we're not here to talk about how fifth graders abuse their power. We're here to talk about our, our lovely, omnipotent God, right, who is all perfect with, with all of his power. But um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and, and pray and get started, and we'll, we'll see. How was your discussion groups? Good? Good, yeah. Did you get through it? A meaty lesson, right? Meaty, meaty lesson. Let's go ahead and, and pray. Father, we just come to you in Jesus' name, and we come, Lord, uh, with expectant hearts. I thank you for each and every woman who made the effort to be here tonight, Lord, and I ask your blessing upon her, Lord, that the, the study right now would just build on what happened in those discussion groups, Lord, that you would just en- enrich their understanding, Lord, each and every one of us, God. We need to grow in this area. We need to understand just how, how big you are, Lord, how, how powerful you are. And so I ask, God, that now you would open our hearts to understand that just even a little bit better than we did earlier. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you Google sources of power, you know, you just type that in sources of power, you'll be bombarded with 714 million search results. Sources of power, and it lists books, it will list, you know, articles and things that describe how organizations and how different people view and use power. I mean, there's information about power in, like, organizational or business leadership, electrical power, nuclear power, political power, and, of course, superhero powers, right? So all of that. Now, that was sources of power. Then if you go in and you Google power of God, you get about 256 million search results. That's little less, little more than a third of the other ones. And so I thought, wow, what a, what a difference. But I think that's really indicative of, of how people think about God or God's power, how they view God's power. And I think most people are way more concerned with human power than they are with the power of God. And I know even for us as Christians, it's really, really easy for us to be distracted by all the earthly powers around us because they're competing to, to seek to control and to influence us, right? Different organizations, different people, they want that influence, that power over our lives. And so I think it really honestly takes a real concerted effort on our part as believers to push all those earthly powers out of the way into the background so we can refocus our eyes and refocus our hearts on the power of God. Now, when you look at what the definition of power is, I mean, there's always, you know, there's multiple definitions. The most, I guess I don't say popular, but I guess like the most, the primary definition of power is the ability to act or to produce an effect. The ability to act or produce an effect. So just saying that you can do something isn't the same as actually having the power to do it. You actually have to be able to produce that effect or to act upon something, to have power. Another definition is to have control or to have authority or influence over others. That's another definition of power. And if we talk about the power of God, he's going to have both of these. God has that ability to act. It's not just empty words, right, with him. It's just it's the power, the ability to act. And he also has control and authority and influence over others. Now, power, if you think about his definition, just by his definition, power cannot exist in a vacuum because it needs to act upon something, Right? And it has to also be able to control and influence something else. And if you think about it, power also cannot come from nothing. But it has to be given that authority that it's using by someone. And last week, Donna spoke about God as our creator. And she shared how God alone is the source of everything that exists. And he created it from nothing. Right? So he's that source of it. And the Bible also teaches us that God is the source of all power. In Psalm 62, 11, it says, God has spoken once, twice I've heard this, that power belongs to God. 
And so if power belongs to God, then he alone can give it out to whomever he wants to, right? He can put power into a lightning bolt. He can put power into a waterfall. He can give power to a king or to a ruler. All the power that exists here on earth, all the power that exists in our universe, all 714 million search results, right? All of that power, it all comes from God, whether people realize it or not, whether people want to admit it or not. The point is that doesn't change the fact that all power, all power belongs to God. And if he has all power, that makes him all powerful or omnipotent, right? And that's what we're going to look at tonight. And I'll, I'll be quite honest, it was kind of hard to wrap my pea brain around this idea, <laughs> you know, and I, I wonder if any of you struggle with that same thing as you're getting into it and thinking, wow, this is kind of like, you know, that's kind of big. But um, I'll do my best to share some things from the scripture. And we're going to look at three different points here tonight. First, we'll look at what is omnipotence. We'll look at what is omnipotence. We will look at how is God's omnipotence revealed? How is it displayed or demonstrated? And we'll also look at what does God's omnipotence mean for us? Or as they say in Spanish, Ike. Right? So, right? so God's omnipotent, right? And how is omnipotence is displayed? And then what, what does that mean for us? Okay, how does that apply to us? And I'm going to use a, a lot of different scriptures. There's not a particular text we're going to be in. So feel free to write them down. I'll be reading them so you don't necessarily have to flip through your Bibles. Um, you may, but, but like I said, I'm going to be reading a lot of different texts. And so hopefully at the end tonight, you're going to have a better understanding about who our all-powerful God is and how there is none like him, right? How it ties into our theme, there is none like him. So starting first of all with what is omnipotence? So if God is infinite, if God is limitless, then the power that belongs to God also has to be limitless. You can't have a limited, limitless God, an infinite God, infinite God with limited power. Okay, his power has to be limited, excuse me, um, limitless. And we first saw his power when we, in the act of creation, as Donna spoke last week, first verse of the Bible, Genesis 1.1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and he created it, as we learned, out of nothing. Now, Donna explained that when it says God created, that word God, that name for God is the word Elohim. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, and Elohim is that, that name is refers to our triune creator God. Now, the first actual reference to God's omnipotence doesn't happen until later in Genesis. So in Genesis chapter 17, in verse 1, God is actually called Almighty God. Abram is 99 years old here. He appears to Abram. Excuse me, God is, um, Abraham is 99 and God appears to him. And God says to him in Genesis 17, 1, I am Almighty God. Walk before me and be blameless. And I thought that's kind of interesting at this point, God introduces himself as God Almighty or the Almighty God. And I thought, well, why now? Well, Abram is 99. His wife is 90. He's saying you're going to have a kid. And I think you need an omnipotent God. You need an all-powerful God, right, to pull this off. Now, El Shaddai is the, in the Hebrew. And that's the word for um, Almighty, God Almighty. So as we said, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. So that word Shaddai is the word that we translate it in English as Almighty and the title Almighty God is found 48 times throughout the Bible. Most of them, interestingly enough, are found in the book of Job. It's found 31 times in the book of Job where he's referred to as Almighty God. And in the book of Revelation, it's found eight different times. So we mentioned Almighty God, but where does this whole omnipotent thing come from? Well, as we said, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. The New Testament was written in Greek. In about 400 AD, there was a translation of the Bible written in Latin. 
It's called the Latin Vulgate. And so when the Latin Vulgate was, was written, when the Bible was translated from Hebrew and Greek into Latin, and you know, a lot of English words have Latin roots. And so that word Shaddai, like El Shaddai, God Almighty, that word Shaddai was translated in Latin as omnipotens. Omni meaning all, potens is powerful. So this whole idea of omnipotent is all powerful. He's able to do everything. He has all the power. And so that came from, um, like we said, from the translation of that, that Latin Vulgate. Now, the actual word omnipotent is only found once in the Bible. It's found in Revelation 19.6. And it's at the end of the tribulation. And the, um, John writes, he says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thundering, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. So the actual word omnipotent, where we get omnipotence, that's found one time in the Bible there in Revelation. Now, the word um, omnipotence, like we said, has this idea of unlimited power. God has this unlimited power, um, or this, he has all power. But we also have to understand that it's unlimited power. So when God gives his power to someone, he gives power, like we said, to a king, to a ruler. He gives power to a lightning bolt. When God gives power, his power is not diminished, right? So we give something and we have less of it, right? But God's power, because his power is unlimited, as God gives power away, his power remains unlimited. His power is not diminished. Remember when um, Jesus, before he was crucified, they gave him, he went to Pilate. And Pilate was asking Jesus all these questions and Jesus refused to answer him. And so Pilate said, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know I have power to crucify you and power to release you? And Jesus answered to Pilate and said, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given you from above. So God is the one who gives power to people. But when God does that, because his power is unlimited, he is not diminished at all in his power. Now, there are a lot of different adjectives in the Bible used to describe God's power. The two most common are great, so great power and mighty power. Those are the two most common adjectives. Great power, we see that a lot. Um, for example, in, in 2 Kings seventeen thirty six, recounting the Exodus when they came out of Egypt, it says that God brought his people out of Egypt with great power. We also see um, in Jeremiah thirty two seventeen that God made the heavens and the earth by his great power. So his power is described as great power. Um, and we know in the New Testament, it says in the second coming, when Jesus returns, it says the son of man is going to, we're going to see him coming in the clouds with how? With great power. So God's power is unlimited and it's often referred to as his great power. It's also described with some other words. For example, in Romans one twenty, it's called his eternal power. And so that's kind of cool. You think about it, the power that was present at the, at the time of creation, all the way until eternity you know in the future when we're going to be with god that eternal power that's how his power is described it's eternal his power is also described as a glorious power so think about that god's glory is revealed in his power and i think my favorite one is that in second peter 1 3 it's called his divine power it's his divine power and because it's divine it comes from god and it's always going to be used in accordance with all of his other attributes because if you think about it, omnipotence can be a really, really scary thing. What is that saying? That absolute power corrupts absolutely, right? So like I told you jokingly about my fifth graders, give a fifth grader power, watch what happens, right? So the concept of absolute power can be a very scary thing, but God's power is a divine power, which means it's used in accordance with all of his other attributes. So his almighty power can never be used in a way that's going to be inconsistent with his love or inconsistent with who he is, with his holiness, 
Okay, that's who God is. And to me, that's a great source of comfort. He has all this power, but it's always going to be used in line with all of his other attributes. So we've talked about what omnipotence is, the fact that God's all powerful, that his power is unlimited. But, and with that in mind, just a few other comments I want to make. And as, as odd as it sounds, there are some things that God cannot do. All right, we talk about God being omnipotent, but there's some things that the scripture says that God cannot do. And it's not a contradiction. So morally, for example, morally, the scripture says that God cannot sin, nor can he look on sin with approval. In Habakkuk 1.13, the prophet writes, you are of purer eyes than to behold evil and you cannot look on wickedness. So it doesn't mean God doesn't see the wickedness that's going on, but God can't look on sin and with an, approv- with an approval. So that's something God can't do. But I thought he was all powerful, but that's against who he is. His, that's a moral thing. Also, Hebrews 6.18 says that God cannot lie. So God cannot lie. God cannot be tempted with evil. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. So God, we say he can do everything, but God can't tempt you to do evil. Now, God cannot do anything contrary to his moral perfections. In 2 Timothy 2.13, Paul writes, if we're faithless, then God remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. He can't do anything against who he is. So those are some things God cannot do morally. Now, logically, there are some things God cannot do. And this may make you chuckle, but there are people, as Pastor Xavier says, who are educated beyond their intelligence, and they sit there and they debate these things. For example, can God make a rock that's too heavy for him to move? Right? People will sit there and discuss this, right? Or can God make a square triangle? Right? Now, these, these are things that are... They're, illogical so logically no god can't do these things and i love the way one commentator put it he said these are logical impossibilities they're absurdities and therefore they're not even worthy of discussion because god's power is involved in creating things that are real but people will debate that you know people you'll say god's all-powerful god your god's all-powerful yeah well can you make a rock that's too big that he can't lift it you know it's like that's that's not even to be considered because god deals with reality god deals with real things Right? So there are some things that God can't do. He can't, like we said, he can't sin. He can't tempt you with evil. And he's not going to do anything that's logically irrational. Like we said, like make a square triangle, okay? Last thing to keep in mind is just because God has power doesn't mean he has to, to use it. Just because God has power doesn't mean he has to use it. And we see a great example of that in the book of um, Jonah. Because God was going to wipe out the city of Nineveh. And he sent Jonah, remember, to preach. But then in Jonah 3.10, it says, And God saw their works, that they turned from their evil way, and God relented from the disaster he said he would bring on it, and he didn't do it. So God had the power to wipe out that city. The people repented, so God decided not to do it. So just because God has the power doesn't mean he has to do something. Right? So he's omnipotent, but he decides when he's going to exercise that power. And as we said, it's always in accordance with his other moral attributes. So omnipotence is unlimited power, and God alone has it because he is eternal and he alone is infinite. God is also the source of all power. And we said that he created everything. So his power comes, he is the source of all that power. And his power is always used in agreement with all of his other attributes. So now having a better understanding of God's omnipotence of what it is, let's look at what are some of the ways that God displays his omnipotence? How is his omnipotence revealed? Okay. So he's all powerful as And his word states this. But remember, we said that power is that ability to act on something. So God just can't say that he's almighty God. 
He can't just say, I'm all powerful. We have to actually see him doing it, right? Because that's what power is, that ability to act on something. And so where do we see his omnipotence? Well, we mentioned it earlier. We see it in the act of creation itself, right? In his creation, God shows him his omnipotence. In Psalm 33, verses 6 to 9, the psalmist writes, By the word of God, the heavens were made, and all the host of them by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea together as a heap, and he lays up the deep in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him, for he spoke and it was done. He commanded and it stood fast. God alone is able to do that. He gathers, as it says here, the waters of the sea together. God is the one who does this. God, in Psalm 89, verses 8 through 11, it says, Lord of hosts, who is mighty like you? And it goes to enlist all these things that God rules the raging seas. God organizes the heavens. He, he sets the north, the south, all these things. He founds them. So God, through his creation, reveals his omnipotence. But not only in the actual act of creation, because God made everything, is he omnipotent? But the way that he rules over his creation, the way that God often will defy the laws of nature, that shows that he has power over his creation. For example, think about um, the exodus. When God brought his people out of the nation of Egypt and what happened when they got to the Red Sea there, right? In Exodus chapter 14, it says in verses 21 and 22 that Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the Lord caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night. And he made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. So the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on the dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on the right hand and on their left. Man, in all of his wisdom, even with all of our technology and stuff, we can't do these things that God does. To open the sea, to allow your people to pass through on dry ground, that is God ruling over his creation. One time Jesus was asleep in, in the boat. They were crossing the Sea of Galilee, and, and his um, disciples were taking him, the 12 disciples were taking him across there. And this huge storm arose, and they were getting all worried that they were going to drown. And so they woke him up, and it says he arose, and he rebuked the wind, and he said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and the sea was calm. Jesus spoke to the water and he stilled the water. That's his power, his omnipotence over his creation. Now, both of those are kind of over inanimate objects, like we said, over the, the oceans and stuff. But God can also rule over the animal kingdom. There's a lot of examples of that in the Bible. Um, probably my favorite is in 2 Kings chapter 2. The prophet Elisha, we know from the scriptures, was bald. And so a bunch of kids decided to make fun of him being bald one day. And so in Second Kings chapter 2 and verse 24, it says, So he, so the prophet he turned, the prophet turned and looked at them and pronounced a curse on them in the name of the Lord. And two female bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the youths. So they're mocking him. He turned, pronounced a curse on them. Two bears come out of the woods and attack these, these kids who are being very disrespectful of the prophet. God has control over his creation. In First Kings chapter 13, there was an old prophet who God had sent to warn um, this one king of his evil. And God told that prophet, now go, give the message and come back. Don't linger. Well, that old prophet got kind of caught up and he actually went to have dinner with another old prophet, <laughs> as the story goes. But what happened is the guy who was hosting him, the Lord spoke to him and said, that I told you to come, give your message, and leave. And you were disobedient. You lingered, and you shouldn't have. So basically, like, you, on your way home, you're going you're gonna to die. You're not going to make it home. And it says in, sec, in 1 Kings chapter 13, in verse 24 and 25, So when he was gone, so when the prophet went back on, on his way, even though he was just told he wasn't going to make it, 
He, when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it. The lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the road and the lion standing by the corpse. God over his creation. He sent that lion. The lion killed the prophet. Donkey didn't run off. Donkey stood there. Lion stood there. Man's on the ground. People came. Right? God over his creation. So God, we say, is omnipotent, not only in the act of creation, but the way he rules over his creation. Daniel in the lion's den, a story that many of us are familiar with, right? What did Daniel say? That the Lord had sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth, right? God intervened on behalf of Daniel. God has control over his creation. And there are so many other miracles, how Jesus turned the water into wine, the cleansing of, of, the, of the lepers, of healing of the blind, so many different ways. They show us how God... His omnipotence is revealed in his creation and in how he rules over his creation. Another way that God's omnipotence is revealed to us is in our salvation. Do you ever think about that? It's God's omnipotence is what allowed us to be saved. Now, I gave the examples over his creation. And that's kind of God controlling the wind, the waves, the animals. But man is a whole different story because God gave us a free will. God gave us a choice, right, to do right and wrong. We get to choose to follow God or not to follow God. Remember I said there's some things that God chooses not to do? He chooses not to force us. God decided not to force us to follow him, to submit to him. But that's a choice. We, by our free will, we decide if we're going to follow God or not. And if you think about it, man doesn't even really have a desire to be saved, basically. It says in Jeremiah 10, verse 23, and the prophet speaks, he says, Lord, I know the way of man is not in himself. It's not in a man who walks to direct his steps. In other words... A person can't decide for themselves to direct them, their steps towards you for good. We direct our steps, all right, but for, towards evil. But he's saying we don't walk after God naturally. That's not our, our inherent nature. Jeremiah thirteen twenty three. he asks a rhetorical question. He says, can Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard its spots? Then may you also do good who are accustomed to do evil. So can a leopard change its spots? No. So what he's basically saying is that man is accustomed to do evil. And so a person doing good is, a, is as unlikely as a leopard changing its spots. Right? We just don't have that tendency to do good. Jeremiah 79, the heart's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Our hearts are wicked. Who can know it? Right? So God alone, God alone is able to change our hearts. He has the power. He's omnipotent. He can give us a new heart. And he promises to do that. In Ezekiel 26, 36, God says, I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit within you. I will take the, stone of, the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. So God is able to do this. He is able to bring our salvation. We can't do that. A man can't save himself. In Ephesians 2, 8, Paul tells us, by grace you have been saved through faith. We all sit here saved, not because of anything we did, but because of the grace of God and the faith we have in him. He says, by grace you've been saved through faith, not of yourself, it's a gift of God. It's not of works, lest anyone should boast. There's nothing anyone can do to merit, to earn their salvation. Nothing I can do to get God's approval. Psalm 49, 7 says, None of them can by any means redeem his brother, nor give to God a ransom for him. There is nothing I can give to God. All my money, you know, any, there's nothing I could give to God that would allow me to, to save my soul. There's nothing I can give to God to save you. All of those things are out of our hands. And because of that, the Apostle Paul writes in Ephesians 2, he describes the condition of man. And he says 
that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. He says we are sons of disobedience. He says we're children of wrath without hope. And that's a pretty dark and dismal picture. But then it says God, we, but then, like we said, God is omnipotent. God is the one who steps into that dark picture then. He is the one who's all powerful. One time with the disciples, um, they were talking with Jesus about, um, well, Jesus was talking, making a point with them, how difficult it, it is for a rich person to get into heaven. And for the disciples, that was just like unheard of. They, they thought a rich person would be, would have an easy way in because they could do so much for God. They can give God so much. Of course, this rich person can get into heaven. And Jesus says, no, that's not how it works. And so they kind of threw up their hands and they said, well, who then can be saved? And Jesus tells him in Matthew 19, 26, he says, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So our salvation is a great example of God's omnipotence. God's omnipotent power is what allows you and I to sit here tonight. It's his omnipotent power. You didn't change your heart. I didn't change my heart. God is the one who did that work within us. That's his power that did it. And it's that omnipotent power that allows us to have that salvation. So we see his omnipotence in creation. We see it in our salvation. And one final example of his omnipotence, it's displayed in the resurrection. In the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. That shows us God's omnipotence. The resurrection bears witness to the immense power of God himself. And to the believer, or to believe in the resurrection, that means that you believe in God and in all of his omnipotent power. When I say I believe that Jesus rose from the dead... I'm saying that I believe that God is omnipotent. Now, since Adam first sinned back in the Garden of Eden, since that time, all of mankind has been subject to death, right? It all started, we could all blame Adam, right? But at that moment, all of us became subject to death. Sooner or later, death was going to get hold of all of us. In Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15, um, the author explains that the one who had the power of death was the devil. And he used the fear of death to keep man in bondage. That's what Satan did. He knew people were going to die. People were fearful of death. He used the power of death to keep man in bondage. And Satan thought that this power over death was going to be his forever. But the resurrection of Jesus changed all of that. Now, if God exists, and if God created the universe, and if he has all power over it, then he alone has the power to raise the dead. God alone has that power. In Romans 6, 9, it says that since Christ was raised from the dead and he dies no more, then death has no dominion over Jesus. Death has no control over him. And the victory that Christ won over death, that victory is ours as well if we believe in Jesus Christ. So that victory over death that Jesus has, if I believe that he rose from the dead, that victory is mine also. That one day I too will, will have that res resurrection. In 1 Corinthians fifteen twenty two, it says that in Adam, all of us died. We we're all under that penalty of death. And if that's true, then in Christ, we'll all be made alive. Christ resurrected first, and then there'll be a resurrection for us. But we have that eternal life. We don't have to be fearful of death because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And only God who created life, he's the only one who can resurrect it after death. Only God who created life can reverse the hideousness that is death itself. And it's only our omnipotent God who can remove the sting of death. And he can gain the victory over the grave. Only God can do that. And in resurrecting Jesus from the grave, God reminds us of his absolute power and he reminds us of his sovereignty over life and death. So God's omnipotence is displayed all throughout the world. But these are just three examples. It's displayed in creation, not only the act of creation, but how he rules his creation. His omnipotence is displayed in our salvation. And it's also displayed in the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. 
So having an understanding of what omnipotence is and how we see it manifested and displayed, then again, the application. So God's omnipotent, what does that mean for us, right? How does that affect our lives? Now, as believers, the fact that we have an omnipotent God, it should be a source of great comfort and great encouragement to us. Knowing that your God's omnipotent, knowing that I have an omnipotent God, that should comfort me. That should encourage me. But there's going to be times when we lose sight of this truth. And what happens? We allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by our problems and our circumstances. And when this happens, we lose sight of our omnipotent God and we see our omnipotent problems, right? These things looming before us, then we need to go back to the scriptures. We go back to the Bible to see what God's word tells us about his almighty power. And so these are just some of the ways that God's omnipotence impacts our lives as, as children of God. These are some of the ways. One of the, one of the ways that, because God's omnipotent, what that means for me is I need to understand that Satan's power is limited. You know, a lot of times we grow up kind of thinking like, you know, you have good and evil, but that they're like opposites in the sense, and they're equal. It's kind of like the cartoon with the angel and the devil on the, on the, on the shoulders, right? You know, and the one saying like, do it, don't do it, do it, don't do it. Almost like they're going back and forth. It's kind of like a, like an equal power, but we know it's not that, it's not that way. Now, in a certain sense, Satan is powerful and throughout history, he's brought down rulers. He's even brought down entire empires. So if we, to deny that Satan has power would be foolish. But in the same way, to give Satan more power than he really has, that's just as foolish, right? He has power, but not that much compared to our God, right? So as you were reading through, maybe in your homework there, we looked at the example of Satan with Job, right? How Satan came against Job, but his attacks on Job were limited. Satan's power is restrained by God's unlimited power. Remember, what did God say to Satan? Behold, Job is, everything he has is in your power, but don't lay a hand on his person. So at the beginning, Satan was able to, he messed with all Job's stuff. Remember, all his herds and everything. His children, were, they all died. A windstorm knocked the house down, but Satan was not able to touch Job's body. But then what happened? God even gave him permission for that. And the Lord said to Satan in Job 2.6, Behold, Job is in your hand, but spare his life. So what happened? Satan was able to inflict all sorts of physical um, illnesses and problems on Job's body, but he couldn't kill Job. So again, Satan's power is restrained by God's unlimited power. We see the same thing in the New Testament. Um, There was a time, it was like the night of the Last Supper, before the crucifixion, and Jesus is there with his disciples. And in Luke chapter 22, in verses 31 and 32, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat. So Satan asked permission to mess with the disciples. He couldn't just go and and do stuff. He had to ask for permission. So Satan can't do whatever he wants. God has to give him that permission to do those things. Satan's power is not unlimited. Satan's power is limited by God's omnipotence. Now, even though his power is limited, that's not going to stop him from trying to mess with us, right? You know that. I mean, just because his power is limited, he's still going to, you know, get as much as he can and do, do the damage that he can. In James chapter four and verse seven, it says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I think that's kind of cool because even while Satan is powerful and he's powerful, you and I can make him run. <laughs> we can make him flee. I mean, he has to flee. And what, is, what does it say? Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And so you think, okay, what does it mean resist the devil, right? Well, Paul explains in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10. He talks about that spiritual warfare. And Paul says in Ephesians 6, 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. So when we rely on God's power, when we make ourselves strong in God's mighty power, that's 
how we resist the devil. And we do that. Satan knows he's outmatched. If I'm standing in my own power, Satan knows, oh, she's mine. Right. But when I stand in God's power, when I depend on the Lord, that's what makes him flee. That's what we, how we resist the devil, not in our own power, but in the power of God's might. And just to rub it into him a little bit, here's a reminder of his ultimate end, right? In Revelation 20, 10 says the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Right? So just a reminder, God has power over Satan. And that, as I said, for us, um, that's one way that God's omnipotence impacts our lives, knowing that Satan has limited power. His power is not unlimited. Another way that God's omnipotence affects us directly is it means that God has the power to keep his promises and God has the power to accomplish everything he's planned and purposed, right? Both for us individually and also like in, in the world, in the big picture, God has the power to keep his promises. God has the power to, to fulfill his plan because God is omnipotent. Now we've all been disappointed sometime in our life by someone who hasn't kept their promises, right? And we don't have to worry about that with God. I think that's so cool. You don't have to worry about that with God. His omnipotence gives us the assurance that God will keep his word. He won't not keep his promises. He won't be one of those, it won't be one of those things where he doesn't come through. God will keep his promises. Now, an all-knowing God can predict the future, but only an all-powerful God can perform what he predicts. And in the same way, an all-loving God can promise salvation, but only an all-powerful God can accomplish what he promised. And I like the way one commentator put it. He said, God's predictions and promises are no better than his power to perform them. Without all power, God cannot keep his predictions and his promises. So you've heard that saying, a promise is only good as the person who makes it, right? And it's so true. God is, if we're, if God's going to predict things and promise things in his word, he has to have the power to bring that to pass. And we can rest assured that he does. Now, regarding his promises to us, there's a, a lot of promises in the scripture um, in Isaiah 55, I like how the, the prophet talks and he talks about how um, God's ways are not our ways. God's ways are so much higher than our ways. And he makes like a, a comparison. He says the same way that the rain falls down and it nourishes the seed and the grass and everything. Then in Isaiah 55, 11, um, the Lord speaks. He says, so shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth. It shall not return to me void, but it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. So God's word, his promises don't come back void. His promises will be accomplished. And Jesus reminds us about that in, in Matthew 24, 35, when Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my word will by no means pass away. So this means that all of God's promises are going to remain. His promises will be fulfilled because our God is an omnipotent God. And there are, we, as I said, there are so many promises that the Bible makes. Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Tonight, you may feel like you're all alone, right? There are some people sitting here in this auditorium. They feel, if it's not that God has left them, maybe everyone else has, right? You feel alone. And if it's not tonight, maybe tomorrow you'll feel like that. It happens to all of us. In those moments, we're reminded, I will never leave you or forsake you. That's a promise from the Lord. You can count on that. He will not leave you. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you have confessed those sins, ladies, they're gone. There's no reason for you to remember those things. Satan will remind you. Your husband will remind you. Your kids will remind you, right, of those things that we do. But if I confess those sins, he is faithful. He is just, he has forgiven me. He has cleansed me. That's a promise from God. That is a promise. He has the power to do that. Regardless of what the people around you, like I said, what they say, 
those sins are gone. If we confess them with that true heart, and I don't plan to go back to that, I confess it, the Lord takes that away. That's, we have his word on that. Matthew eleven twenty eight, he says, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That's his word to some of you tonight. Come to me. Some of you are carrying way more than you're supposed to be carrying. Right? And I'm not saying that there's not things that we have to deal with. Right? There's, there's responsibilities we have. There's finances. There's, you know, house issues. There's health issues, kid issues. But he never intended for us to carry those things by ourselves. He says, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. That's his promise to you tonight. And he can do that. He will give you that rest you are looking for. He will do that. Matthew six thirty three. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. It's so easy for us to get distracted. I mean, because like I said, you've got to you know, walk the dog, you've got to wash the car, you've got to do the laundry, you've got to do all this stuff. It's so easy. But as he says, when we seek first his kingdom, put God first in our lives. Give him that time. Don't relegate him to the side. When we do that, all those things are going to be added. There's going to be time for all that other stuff. It's going to work out. Those are God's promises. Those are his promises to you tonight and to me. And God will keep those promises. He has the power to do that. He has the power. So there are these promises in his word that are kind of like there for everyone. And then there are those personal promises. When you open up your Bible and you sit with God and you're reading, and sometimes there's a verse that just jumps out and like slaps you in the face. It's like, that's for you. And you realize, oh my goodness, this is like God saying like, this is for me right now. This is what I needed to hear, right? There are those personal promises. I know that some of you have those promises in your heart and you may even feel that he has forgotten about those promises. That God showed you something and you just grabbed it at that moment and you're losing your grip on that promise, right? But maybe you're thinking God can't fulfill it or that, like I said, he forgot. But you need to be encouraged because our God is that omnipotent God. He is omnipotent. His timing is different than our timing. That's what makes it hard to hang on and hang on. I'm slipping, right? His timing is different. But those promises that he gives to you are there. They're real. They're true. And he has all the power that's necessary to fulfill those promises that he has spoken to your heart. Psalm twenty-seven, fourteen says, wait on the Lord. Be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So as we wait on the Lord, he strengthens our heart. He gives us the courage to keep waiting. But we have to wait on him to do that. Isaiah 46, 11 Indeed, I have spoken it. I will also bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I will also do it. We can depend on him. That's our God saying that. I've spoken it. I'll bring it to pass. That promise I gave you, I will fulfill it. I will also do it, he says. Job 42, 2 in the NIV says, I know you can do all things and no purpose of yours can be thwarted. You know, your husband's not going to get in the way of the promises of God. Your boss isn't going to get in the way of the promises of God. Your mom's not going to get in the way of the promises that God has made for you, right? The elections aren't going to get in the way of the promises that God has made for his people. I mean, nothing can thwart God's purposes. Nothing can stand in the, his way because our God is what? He's all powerful. He is all powerful. He is able to bring his word to pass. <clears throat> so God not only has the power to keep his promises, as we mentioned here, but he also, his omnipotence ensures us that his purposes are going to be accomplished. So he can keep his promises and he can, his plan, which he laid out, he's going to bring it to pass. Now, when did, go back for a moment. When did God first reveal himself as God Almighty? Remember? It was to Abraham, right? 99-year-old guy, 90-year-old wife, going to have a kid, right? So like we said, Abraham's age couldn't get in the way of God's plan because God had promised them a child. 
So his age wasn't going to be a factor there. So God is able to bring his, pa- his plan to pass. Another part of God's eternal plan was the coming Messiah. How else is he going to save mankind? How was the Messiah going to come into the world? He couldn't come like everyone else. So what does God do? Isaiah seven fourteen. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel. A virgin will conceive and bear a son. Now that takes omnipotence, right? God's plan to bring the Messiah into the world. God has the power to bring his plan to pass. What about the crucifixion? Was that just a big mistake? Was it a tragic accident or was it part of God's plan? Right? Think about it. And when Jesus spoke about his life, when Jesus himself spoke about his life in John ten eighteen, he said, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself and I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it again. This command I received from my father. Jesus is his, omnip- his omnipotence, right? He had power over his life. The crucifixion was part of God's plan. It wasn't an accident. It wasn't a mistake. It was part of God's plan. And at the very end, as he hung on the cross, when he was ready to die, in John 19.30, Jesus, it says, So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. Jesus was in complete control. He was the one who decided, okay, this is it. He says he gave up his spirit. doesn't say the spirit left him. He was in full control that whole time. He is omnipotent God. He controls. It's God's plan that's coming, out to, coming to pass here. And God's also going to use his power to accomplish his will in your life. God has a plan for your life, and he's going to use his power to bring that plan to fruition. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes, Being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. God has started a work in your lives, ladies. You gave your heart to Christ. He's working. He's transforming us. That plan is in motion, and he who has begun that good work will complete it. God has the power to do that. He will bring his plan in your life to pass. And you know what else is part of his plan for your life? At the very end, in, in the book of Jude, in verse 24, Jude writes, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Just to me that thought that one day our Savior is going to present us faultless without any stain or blemish to his Father. That's part of his plan. He's going to present you and me before his Father perfect. And how can he do that? Because he bore our sins and he atoned for our sins, right? That's a part of his plan. He can do that. Only he can do that. So what does his omnipotence mean for us then? It means that Satan's power is limited. It means that God is going to fulfill all of his promises and that his plans and his purposes are going to come to pass, both in your life personally, my life, and also in the world as a whole. You know, A.W. Tozer is one of my favorite authors. And um, there's a quote of his... It it fits so perfectly, you know, because so often power makes people very unapproachable and very inaccessible. You may know people um, who are like that. You give them, like I said, like I said, jokingly about my fifth graders, but you may have people who you work with or people around you and they have some power and all of a sudden they're very unapproachable, very inaccessible. But Tozer said, God is powerful yet personal. And I think that is just so put so beautifully. God is powerful yet he is personal. And never forget that, ladies. Our God is very, very personal. He's so personal that it says in Matthew 10, 30, that every hair on our head is numbered, right? He is so personal that he collects your tears and keeps them in his bottle. That's how personal God is. He cares very, very, very deeply about each and every one of you. And there's times when we're very, very aware of his presence. 
We're acutely aware of God's presence and his care for us. But then there are those times when we're not aware of his presence. Maybe we got distracted or we did neglect to spend time in his word or we're in the middle of some crisis and that crisis, it really overwhelms us. But either way, we just lose sight at the moment. We lose sight of this all powerful God, but we know he never loses sight of us, but we lose sight of him at times. And it's during moments like this that the enemy comes along and he whispers in your ear or maybe he shouts in your face either way. Right. But what does he do? He says, God is unable or unwilling to help you. Right. He comes and he, he says that to you. In 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it reminds us that we're supposed to bring our thoughts captive. That's what we need to do. It says, bring your thoughts captive. And I thought, okay, what does this mean? Because a lot of people, we talk about that. Okay, like bring your thoughts captive. What does that mean? I want you to think about that lady in the grocery store with her kids out of control. <laughs> and what do you want to do? You want to say, hey, you, get over here. Stop running around. Come here. Get over here. That's what you want to say to those kids, right? Because their kids are all over the place. That's what we have to do to our thoughts. Our, your thoughts are all over the place in the moment. That's what it is. When it says, bring your thoughts captive, it's just like all those little crazy kids running around. You have to do that with your thoughts. Get over here. Get them back. Rein them in. You have to bring them back. You have to control them. Line them up with God's word. And once you do that, once you kind of like bring them in, then you have to remind yourself two things. First one is God is able to help me. God is able to help me. Remember, he is El Shaddai. He's God Almighty. He's the omnipotent one. He has all power. Unlike Satan, who's putting this doubt into your heart in the first place, right? God has all the power. So you have to remind yourself, God is able to help me. There's nothing too hard for him. Remember what Jesus said, things that are impossible with men are possible with God. So you have to remind yourself about that. And then you also have to remind yourself that God is not only able to help me, God is willing to help me. God wants to help me. In Psalm 84, 11, it says, for the Lord is a sun and a shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. Doesn't mean I have to be perfect, but when I seek to walk after God, it says no good thing will he withhold. God will be there. God was willing to help me. God wants to help me and God is willing and able to help me. And when things aren't going the way I think they should in my life, and my footnote here is when God isn't using his omnipotence the way I think he should, right? When things aren't going the way I think they should, he's not using his power the way I think then again, what do we do? We fall back on God's word. In Romans eight twenty eight. we know all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. I don't have to understand God's omnipotence all the time. I just have to trust that he has it. I have to trust that he has it and that he always uses it in accordance with his other attributes. His power is used with all of his other attributes. So having an omnipotent God is a huge source of confidence for us, ladies. It means because it means he can handle any problem that we have. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And he does. He has that power to strengthen us. He has that power to help us. So if God is almighty and if he's omnipotent, then we can believe him. We can trust him. We can have faith in him to let him do as he pleases with our lives. He's omnipotent. I can trust him with my life. Why would I want to control my own life? I'm not omnipotent. The only power I have is the power to mess stuff up, right? But God is all powerful. I can trust him with my life. Okay, I can trust him with my life. So how are we supposed to respond to that omnipotence? In 1 Peter 5, 6, he says, Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. We need to remember that God is the Almighty One. It's not us. He's the Almighty One. We need to realize that without his almighty power, that we can do nothing. John fifteen five, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him will bear much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. 
So ladies, let's just recommit ourselves tonight to abiding in that power, in that power that he has. So that power can work first in our lives. We want him first to work in our life to accomplish those purposes and then to work through us to touch the lives of those people who are around us. That's what God desires to do. Go ahead and um, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your omnipotent power, Lord. Even though we don't fully understand it or grasp it, we know, Lord, that you have it and we know that we need it. Help us, Lord, to depend upon it. I pray for each woman here tonight, Lord, who in one way or another in her life needs to know, Lord, that you are omnipotent, that you are able to keep those promises you have given to her. You are able, Lord, to bring her through those difficult, difficult times she's in. So I ask God tonight as we go home that your word would settle into our hearts, that you would speak your truth deeply, deeply, Lord, into each of our hearts, that we would grab hold of it, Father, and that we would have more confidence in who you are as our, as, as our omnipotent God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.